This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Morin for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. How does a manager deal with an inherited team, rather than the team she handpicked? Sometimes a manager has to motivate someone who applied for that manager's job and is extremely resentful. What about the differences between innies and outies? Darrell Rabinowitz, lead of the design systems group at eBay, shares stories from both managers and individual contributors about how they inspired their teams to do great things, or in some cases, how things fell apart. Darrell also talks about communication styles, team exercises, like design sessions and reviews, sharing work, mentoring, and ways to foster a sense of community, all through real-life examples. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. So I just want to start out by saying that, you know, it's really hard to talk about motivating UX teams in specifics because every team is different. There's people that work on the inside. There's people that work as consultants. There's people that have straight information architects teams, there's people who, you know, have a mixed team kind of like I do. Um, we'll talk about the specifics, but overall I'll be, I'll be sharing some mm, guidelines to follow as best you can in your own way. And like every other designer, information architect that walks the planet, it all depends <laughs> So um, I'm not really all that interesting. Um, Richard explained it all. I do have um, a little, little thing about Elvis, and so I am in the home birthplace of my man. So just you should keep that in mind. But um, I thought I'd actually start with a story about my first job. Um, I used to work, or I worked during high school at the Huntington Public Library. Show of hands, anybody that grew up in and went in Huntington, Long Island. Okay, good. Um, I was a page at the Huntington Public Library, and I was hired because I'm an artist, and also because I was a straight-A student. Stop the smirk. Um, uh, a little side note is that I, apparently I made the National Honor Society when I was a sophomore, and the principal came to find me to tell me in my class that I was cutting, that I made the National Honor Society. <laughs> anyway... Um, so I started working at the Huntington Public Library, and uh, the big thing you do at the library is shelve books. That's what pages do. Um, so it's a very hard job. You put books away, and you clean up the shelves. But I was hired because I could make things and make things pretty. And, you know, if you've been in libraries, some of you probably have little kids. There's all sorts of art displays and bulletin boards and all sorts of really creative things things that you can, you know, to, to make kids want to read. So that's why I was hired to make that. So soon after I started, Mrs. Winard, who was my boss, sat me down and asked me to draw something. I can't actually remember what it was that she asked me to draw, but I'm pretty sure it was like a picture of some kids reading a book. And I sat down at the little table in one of the storytelling corners, you know, the little table that's like a foot off the ground with like the little kid chair table. And she handed me a piece of paper with some pencils and told me to draw this thing. And I did. And I started sketching. And I don't even remember what it looked like or how long it took. But when I was done, she took it from me with no comment. And after that, no one asked me to make any art again. <laughs> so since I was low man on the totem pole, my responsibilities were shelving the picture books. Um, the way it worked is that the new kids, they did the picture books, which were the worst ones because the babies move things all around and spit up and crawl on the floor, and they're always messy. And then the longer you're there, the more you get to do. Then you get to shelve, like, the young adult fiction or the young adult nonfiction, you know, that they don't get all messed up so much. And then you get to stand behind the counter and check out books. I'm not sure if any of you remember before pre-computerized libraries, you actually used to stamp the card and take a picture of it and then put it in the slot. That was like my dream. Or to type up a library card. I really, I wanted to type up a library card really badly. But no, I was shelving picture books and wiping off baby stuff. Um, 
Anyway, um, so after my two-month, like, little orientation, Mrs. Winard asked me to speak to her in her office um, alone, away from everybody else, and it was like a cubicle. There wasn't really an office. And she discussed my attitude on the job and my clothes. <laughs> and um, I should just say I felt really picked on during this conversation and also that I had never really had a performance conversation with anyone that didn't tell me I was the greatest thing walking. So uh, Mrs. Winard's list of transgressions were that I came to work on time, that I was caught reading the books and not putting them away, and that my clothes were shabby, I had holes in the knees of my blue jeans, and that I was wearing flip-flops, which made a loud noise when I walked. She asked me to consider whether I really wanted this job and that I should get back to her. Um, so what went wrong at the HPL? Um, as I started working there, um, uh, you know, after that conversation, I really had a loss of confidence. I was like, well, everyone loves me. I'm really smart. I can shelve picture books. You know, why is she telling me that I'm not on time? Um, there were unclear expectations, right? I mean, I came to work every day or whatever, 3 o'clock after school. What, what does on time not mean? Apparently, I should just mention, on time meant being there five minutes early and eager to work. Um, I didn't get any performance feedback because she didn't tell me that she didn't like my drawing. She didn't tell me anything about my drawing. Um, and I didn't really feel like I could talk to anybody about it or talk to her about it because she was like a middle-aged lady, you know, and I was not. So this lack of, of those goals, also, it really wasn't challenging to shelve picture books. All you really had to do was know your ABCs. Um, so I didn't really have a lot of motivation. So what happened is, is that I started getting close as I worked there. I started getting close to another adult. Her name was Mrs. Daly, and I actually really, really liked her. Um, I told her that my dad was out of work and I really needed a job, and that's why my clothes were all messed up. And by the way, shelving picture books means you're on your knees on carpet and your jeans are going to get holes in them. And as soon as I could afford to, I would buy a pair of shoes, but that I was using the money from this job that I really needed to pay for my clothes. And... Um, and of course, Mrs. Daly talked to Mrs. Winard about it, and no one ever mentioned my clothes again. Guilt is a really effective motivator sometimes. <laughs> um, and then the other pages who were there forever, they started giving me strategies on how to cope. Right? They were like, well, shelve your books really fast and then make your own projects. They were like, if you want to be an artist here, just redo a bulletin board. Don't wait for somebody to ask you. Um, and you should actually talk to Mrs. Renard about why you want to read the books because she'll think you want to be a librarian and she'll let you do that because she'll want to mentor you, which is what I did. And so I found this ally in Mrs. Daly I asked for feedback from her and from Mrs. Winard, and I initiated responsibility by starting to create all the artwork. And by doing that, I started inspiring trust, and I became like, you know, Miss Page of the Century. You know, I said, hey, let's have like a Star Wars themed reading summer book club, and I'll make a, like a paper mache Luke Skywalker thing, and everybody was really big into it. So. It was, a, it was actually a really great learning experience, and I have to say that almost everything I've learned about being a manager, I learned at the good old HPL. I also learned how to kiss security guards and dance the disco in the stacks, but that's for another storytelling time. So, um, so I want to talk about things like motivation and teams and how to do great work, but also, I wanted to talk about the, the real reason that most people leave their job. Does anybody know? <laughs> okay. Their boss is a jerk. That's the number one reason that people leave their jobs. So um, I don't know if any of you want to share a bad manager story, if anybody can think of anything. You guys are not allowed to share a bad manager story. 
But I want to share a good manager story. I actually had um, a manager recently who was not a very formal person, um, but what she did was she subtly encouraged me, both privately and publicly. She gave away the credit to me in things that I had only had a slight hand in, and she very informally but all the time checked in with me just to make sure how things were going. And it was very friendly, but there was a clear boundary of lines. She was my manager, um, but I knew exactly what she expected. I knew what she wanted. I knew she trusted me, and there was a place where she would give me something to do or talk about an idea and then just let me go and do it. And it might have been a totally different way than, than she expected. She described my job uh, description as just do it. And that's what I did. So um, some of you may realize or may know that um, kind of every day I tweet a little bit of a song lyric. Um, it's just a stupid little thing that I do. Um, music means a lot to me. Um, and so I don't know if anyone knows this song. Yeah. All right. So uh, peace, love, and understanding is really all about teams. <laughs> we all have to be together. We all have to understand each other. And managers can really help provide that foundation for peace, love, and understanding. They do it by setting the stage for what's going to happen. Some people think that managers should be leaders, but I actually think, and, and I do think you need to lead in some sense, but really what you need to do is set it up so that everyone else can do the stuff. And it's about building and trusting your team to do the work. Um, maybe, depending on your situation, here's one of the, the it depends stuff, um, leading your day-to-day -day and design activities, and a lot about sharing information freely. So setting the stage is really about being organized. Maybe you need to shield people if possible, but if you do your job right, you can turn a group of individuals into a team, a group that's more effective than the sum of its parts. And together, you and your team can achieve great things. I think that as manager, your task is to serve the team. But how do you do that? You really have to think about managing your confidence. Um, I think this is actually good advice for everyone, manager, team, everyone, is to really lose your self-doubt. I know a lot of us walk around, I think there's music, can you hear it? Anyway. Um, the thing about self-doubt is, is that everybody is their own worst critic, right? Everybody walks around thinking, I'm not sure I'm doing a really good job, or is that design the best? Um, awareness of your own strengths and weaknesses leaves you open to growth and feedback. And in our profession, feedback is really important in a culture that values critique and articulation of design rationale. You need to be confident to ensure respect, but you don't have to know, be a know-it-all, and asking for help is really not weak. So I know this isn't really like the, the top thing on the being a manager checklist, but I want everyone to always think about, you know, self-doubt just hinders you. It stops you from doing what you need to do. So that's overall top guide. Finally, or next, clear goals go a really long way. Oops. Um, it's important to understand your team needs. Um, and the, for the team, it's important to communicate your needs. If your manager isn't telling you what you need to know or what you need to know about your goals, then, then you've got to ask. So and there's all sorts of levels of goals, right? There's the goals of your company, right, the strategy and vision. I work for eBay, and our strategy is to sell stuff. And everything I do is about showing off the selection or helping a buyer buy something. But my team goals are slightly different. I run the pattern group, and my team goals are to ensure a holistic design experience for everybody and to help people make their jobs easier. And on a day-to-day -day basis, our projects may be something like adding rationale to five patterns or patternizing, I don't know, one area of the site. So there's all different levels of goals, 
And everyone on your team needs to understand what those goals are so that we can work together to a common understanding. Um, and there's the other level, which a manager, I guess, needs to think about, which is understanding your personal goals, right? What are the people on my team's career and skill development needs? And as a manager, I can help with that sometimes. Um, I also think a really big important part of being a manager is clearing obstacles. Um, it's about, what all I do is about helping everyone else get stuff done, prioritizing that, and fighting their procrastination. And sometimes that means that I don't have to wait. I need to be proactive. So I have to ask, are they confused about something I said? Do they need clarification? Are they stuck? Does that mean I need to sit down with them and help them out? And prioritizing is an issue that I think a lot of people have problems with. And again, it's all about a dialogue. Sitting down, deciding what's next, and maybe even stepping in to do it with them. Another song. As a manager, I think that all the time our intentions are misunderstood. But teamwork starts with understanding. Everyone on the team needs to kind of understand the picture, our goals, each other, where we're going, and how we're going to be judged or how we're going to be measured. So I hate, I'm sorry, this is a big slide full of bullets, but. Understanding roles and responsibilities is really important, and this is one of the biggest things that depends where you are. Some managers are hands-on, like this. This is sort of my job right now. My job is to get work done myself, but critique other people's work, do it, get everyone on the same page and build consensus. I do a, ho a whole lot of prioritizing and assigning work, and I clear a lot of obstacles. But some managers don't do any of this stuff. Some managers do a lot of going to meetings and doing a lot of um, playing politics and evangelizing the group's needs. And some managers are, are really more people, people, people managers, and they have to deal with all the HR stuff. I probably have to do all of that, but I don't. Um, as long as everyone on the team knows what I'm responsible for, and I know, and they know what each other are responsible for, there'll be less gray area, less overlap, if that's how you like to work your team. Some teams like to work in a much more collaborative effort where there's not a lot of clear guide or clear lines between roles, right? So um, right now at eBay, we're trying to do a lot of T-shaped skill people. So we have interaction designers who are kind of also doing visual design, and we have content folks who are kind of doing visual design. Everybody's trying to do visual design. Yeah. So, you know, but understanding what a true visual designer does or knowing who to go to who can help you solve your problem is going to make things easier for your team. It kind of leads us into understanding your team's strengths and weaknesses. Since you guys can't hear the music, I'm not going to play it. All right. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, if you've set the stage, they'll already have an idea of, you'll already have an idea of people's strengths and weaknesses, and knowing what they're good at and what gives them trouble will help you solve their problem and clear those obstacles. If you can tell what they're feeling, when they're feeling good, and when they're in a rut, you can help them get out of the rut. Um, the important piece is understanding how. So sometimes people, you, you know, you think you're going to ask them, what's wrong? How can I do this better? Um, but a lot of times people don't actually know what they're good at. A lot of times people don't or think they're really good at something and they're not. So the best way that I've found to figure out what people are good at and what's going to cause them trouble is to try giving them different things, seeing how they do with them and adjust. Back in the day when I was a graphic designer and doing print work, we had this sort of um, Every design studio had a system where a junior designer would come in and they would be brand new and they really weren't giving any, given any projects on their own. They were kind of paired up with a designer who was paired up with a senior designer who was sort of paired up with an art director. And at every level in the process, you started out sort of extending somebody's design, then coming up with a design on your own, then coming up with a whole bunch of designs and supervising them. And there was a really good way to learn by example or by watching to see what was done 
And so I kind of follow this advice with everyone on my current teams. The other thing is, can they come to you when they're in trouble? And this is kind of hard for a lot of managers because it's not easy. If they can be honest with you, you can adjust, right? I don't like this project. I'm going to quit. I hate, you know, if, I, if you make me work on membership for another six months, I am going to kill you. Um, you have to be willing to hear bad news. You have to be willing to hear things that you might not be able to solve. And the only way I can tell you to deal with that is to be honest. I may, you know, tell, I may not be able to solve this, but I hear it, and I will try my best to do something about it. Understanding what their personal goals are, what their career plans, why they made the decision to take the job will help you assign them to projects that are going to interest them. So hire smart. Hire great people and trust them to do their job. I have a story about Lucas here. Sorry. Um, Lucas was on my team, and he was like the best designer ever guy. Did anything you asked more than that. And because of that, I cut him a lot of slack. So Lucas liked to come in late, because, and he worked late. And Lucas, you know, if he worked from home two days a week, it was no big deal because I knew he was online, and I knew he was getting his work done. Well, what I didn't realize was that other designers on the team saw this and thought, well, Lucas can work from home. That's not a problem. I can work from home. Or Lucas can come in at 1030. That's not a problem. I can come in late, too. And actually, what I had to clarify was that that's a privilege that Lucas gets because he's so great, and he works hard, and he's proved his, tr you know, he's proved his trust and value. So I let him do it his way because he did it right. But the person who was coming in late and wanting to take the days off, she was a bad apple. And one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch. So I don't know if you guys um, are into This American Life, but recently I, I heard this story on This American Life about um, a study where the conventional wisdom around bad apples in a group dynamic was that bad apples don't really spoil anything because the group dynamic is stronger than that one person. However, and that there are three basic types of bad apples on, on any team. There's the depressive pessimist who complains that the test, you know, they just complain. Everything is bad and the group is not going to be able to succeed. Then there's the jerk who says that other people's ideas are just not adequate, right? But they don't offer any suggestions. That, that's Lance. No. I'm joking. Um, and then there's the slacker who says, whatever, or what, what did we say this morning, meh. It turns out that the worst team member is the best predictor of how any teams perform. So if you have a bad apple, the only thing you can do is manage that bad apple out. It may not be easy, but it's, you can give them all the chances in the world. If you talk to them about their performance, you can talk to them about the situation. But if they're not changing their behavior, there's nothing you should do. You've got to cut them loose. So the other thing is setting boundaries. Can you be a friend and a manager at the same time? It's really hard sometimes when you have to deliver bad news and you're the manager, but you're their buddy. If they've seen you, well, some people have seen me. Um, I think there's a line, though, between the manager and the friend, and it's very hard to cross. Actually, one of the jobs that I had in the past, I was sitting with the whole team, and all they did all day long was complain, and it made me insane. So I sat apart, and then they stopped complaining and just did what I told them because they saw me as not one of them anymore. I wasn't one of the team. I was separate. I was the manager. And that helped a lot. So over-communicate to build community. My slides aren't coming on. Um, so positive reinforcement. I know you guys know this, right? A pat on the back goes really, really, really far. Um, and celebrating accomplishments in public is also a great step. So it's not just in private I tell you you, I did, you did a good job, but everyone needs to know you did a good job. It helps everyone see what everyone else is up to. And in, 
and it helps everyone bond together. Um, I will tell you a short little story. Um, I worked in a team where it was just me and another designer. And together we did everything. Um, I, d I don't know, nobody was the lead, we were just partners. Um, and his wife um, had a baby and there were problems. So he was out for two months while we were prepping for a big meeting. So I did all the work. And at the big meeting, all the, we were doing, it was a long time ago, we, we did what we called multimedia presentations. Uh, so my multimedia presentations went really, really well. And everybody was really thrilled and laughing, and it was all lovely. And our boss stood up and thanked Adam, my partner. He didn't mention Darrell. He thanked Adam. And I had to stand up and say, what about me? And he was like, well, I assume that when I say Adam, I mean you, too. I was like, don't make that assumption. And he came to me privately afterwards and said that, that he was really glad that I said something and that he would never, ever make that assumption that you know, thanking one person instead of thanking the team was going to work. The other thing is that you really need to care enough to confront and correct. So, you know, if somebody's not performing and they're not a total bad apple, but they did a really bad job on something, or even not a bad job, but you could see some, some way for them to get better, you, you need to care enough to help them out. You also need to care enough to let them, to hear their side of the story, and, and hear maybe they have a different kind of feedback for you. Maybe you're not having the same point of view, maybe they're coming at it from a whole different place. But you need to have that conversation and everyone needs to be comfortable enough to feel that. Finally, give away the credit. So if it's a team thing, I've trained myself to stop saying I and to say we. It's about we all the time. And if somebody's working on your team and, and if there's a team project and you get to show it off to somebody up the executive chain Try have them show it off up the executive train, tra you know, chain. You don't, as the manager, you don't have to show the team's work. You can let people speak for themselves. Let them do it as much as possible. Um, music, soft. Um, so manage emotion. Keep an eye out for complainers. Um, you know, people get really emotional at work sometimes. People have a lot invested in their work. And sometimes there's just people that complain, complain, complain. And this really affects the whole team. It stops everyone from being motivated. Um, you can be a problem solver when it comes to resolving conflicts. All you have to do is listen. Sometimes you're not going to be able to solve the problem, but at least you can make an attempt at it. Maybe you have to separate them. Um, finally, um, email or in person, what's the appropriate medium? How many of you have sent an email blasting something that happened without thinking that then got forwarded on to tons and tons of different people? That's not very much. You guys are much more in control of your emotions than I am. Um, it happens all the time. And uh, just a second to talk about crying. Um, so <laughs> tips and techniques. When I think I'm going to cry, I run into the bathroom like every other woman I know. Um, but I've actually made people cry in just giving them feedback, not intentionally. And of course, then I feel hugely guilty forever. Um, but it happens. People, it's really hard to hear any kind of critique. People, as you know, sometimes if you're even critiquing a design choice, I've had people cry. That's the worst. I'm very direct sometimes, and it can be misinterpreted. So all I can say is that if you sadly make people cry, give them a tissue, ask if they need a moment, and leave the room. <laughs> give them time to gather their thoughts and tell them they can come to you when they're ready. It's sad, but it happens, you know. So... I wouldn't hold it against them, though. A lot of times, women especially can't get angry. When they're angry, they cry. I'm sure everyone knows that. I'm about to cry now. <laughs> uh, so gaining respect and earning trust. Gosh. Um, so I asked people for stories. I actually wanted to not just give you, read people a list of tips and tricks. I actually said, let's tell some stories about 
about managing teams and motivating and stuff. And um, my friend Stephanie Krauss, who is a designer as well as uh, a manager, said that she needs to be able to look up to her manager and feel that they can she can learn from them. If that's not the case, she has a hard time accepting them as a superior. Um, she said she's fairly senior herself, and she can appreciate if that manager lets her run the show and helps her to remove obstacles. But if she feels that her manager doesn't trust her to make the right decisions, she'll get really frustrated. So there's a lot of different ways that people earn respect, but a lot of times it's because they know you can do it, too, even if you don't. Um, at Yahoo, on our personals team, we had more work than anyone could do. And once in a while, everyone was just too busy to do the latest project. So what did I do? I did the crap project so everyone else could work on the fun projects. Then they could see that I could actually do it. And by the way, I was able to accept criticism and feedback from the team on how to do it better. I, I think this went a real long way in gaining their respect and trust. And now Lucas actually has to lie and say, yes, he does trust me. Um, so the other thing is be yourself, right? Be honest. So I have a sense of humor. I'm a little quirky, and I can't hide that, so I just don't. This is me. You know, everybody is like, everybody has things that are special about themselves, so just let it be. That's going to help you much, much more to have everyone work together than to be apart. Oh, and give away the credit. Did I say that one more time? Um, so the other thing people can do to help manage the day-to-day, -to, -day, to help inspire and be motivated, is to deal with day-to-day -day activities like... <laughs> I put that up just for you. Um, activities like mood boards, sketching, affinity diagrams. Here's some sketches. We've got some whiteboarding exercises, mood boards, more diagrams. Um, these day-to-day -day activities, sometimes people don't know what to do in what situation. You might want to help them by suggesting, suggesting an activity. You might want to lead them in an activity. You might want to start somebody out with an activity and then step back and let them lead it. Getting people going, helping them do the work, is the way to get them motivated. And by the way, having a little fun while you're doing it and laughing is also going to be fun. It's going to be better and more motivating. So um, Livia's not here, but this is her photo. Um, I want to talk a little bit about design feedback. Can anybody hear that? It's telling me something good. Um, a lot of people didn't go to art school and aren't used to critiques. Um, and a lot of people don't know how to give really great design feedback. So this is something that I work really hard at, and that's especially relevant for UX teams. Right? There's a way to give positive encouragement, a way to understand people's design rationale without saying, I don't like this. It's not that you don't like it. It's that you, how does it satisfy the user goals? The thing to do is to ask questions and probe more than giving your reactions. Um, you set up a situation where the team is comfortable to express their ideas, but not just their opinions. And everybody needs to be able to give and get feedback. So I'm really um, a big proponent of different kinds of design reviews. Lucas and I gave this presentation about design reviews uh, a couple of years ago at the Design Summit. And um, the, the three types, peer reviews, this is when you step sit by next to somebody at their desk and talk one-to-one -one about whatever is going on. And we actually used to do this a lot via IM. So I, you know, somebody would IM me a link to a mock or a wireframe, and I would check it out and just offer some ideas. This casual interaction on a day-to-day -day basis just helps everything run smoothly. And I also encourage the team to do it amongst themselves as well, so that everybody sees what everyone's working on and everybody can do it together. Then we have regular team design reviews. Um, it's where the team can provide guidance to improve usability, solve problems. Um, I also, some of the benefits of the team reviews are 
people of different functions might see what another function does. So the designer, visual people might see what the interaction people do, and everybody learns cross-functional stuff. Um, you get a different point of view. There's also a lot of institutional knowledge and learning that you can get from team reviews. Say somebody's been there for two years longer than you have, and they've already tried that solution. Here's a good place to find out about it. Um, it helps people learn how to articulate their rationale and to prep for something that's tougher, like a stakeholder review, where you know you might get pushed back from a client or from a senior manager who says, I don't like blue. Being prepared and understanding why you made that design decision is going to save you in a design review. Um, and another thing, as a manager, is that especially not for the, those folks who aren't that senior, I don't let them go into a stakeholder review on their own. But I won't talk unless I need to. So if I need to, I can step in and help them and smooth over the politics or help them explain their ideas. But if they don't need me, I can just be there backing them up and supporting them. Once I've, once I've said, yes, this is right, or yes, this is the direction we like, they know they have my support and I'm not going to change my mind in the middle of review and side with whoever is, is the stakeholder. I may say, hey, that's a really great point that the stakeholder makes. Let's come back and talk about it afterwards. But in that meeting, I would never, never second guess my team. They know that I'm there to support them. Um, so um, sharing info freely. Um, one of the things that I think happens at a lot of big companies is that people only talk about some things, and you have to hear about other things. You have to hear about other things from, from like other sources, because your friend works up in the other floor, and they heard a rumor, and there's innuendo that something's happening down the road, and you never really know what's quite happening. So. I think the way, one of the ways to keep your team motivated is to tell as much as you can and share that information freely. Um, timely focused information, it helps everyone keep working. Um, people need to know the consequences of what's happening or of what their work. If they don't finish their project, they need to know what the consequences are. Um, the other thing is that if information is shared freely, you as manager can keep your mouth shut and listen, right? A lot of times people won't exactly tell you what's going on, but you might hear it through the grapevine what's going on, and being able to share that with your team is really helpful. That said, a lot of people feel like managers need to protect their team. You know, if you're really concentrated on doing the day-to-day -day stuff, and I know that there's all sorts of bullshit going on politically, or there's some reorganization that's going to affect stuff, but it's not going to do anything but piss you off right now, maybe you don't need to know about it in full detail. On the other hand, a lot of people think the more you tell everyone, the more the better it is. I like I can't keep my mouth shut, so that's really not a problem with me. Um, and finally, don't silence your critics. Engage them. Um, if somebody has a problem, let them let them talk about it. You know, sometimes when people are angry, the only thing you can do is stand there and take it. So eBay was recently, um, we recently visited um, a team of folks who were talking to us about accessibility. And I had to sit there and take it. And um, I didn't build the site. I didn't do any of that stuff. But it was my role to talk to them about how we were going to fix it. And first they wanted to vent on what was wrong. And I just sit, I just, yes, yes, I agree. Yes, that's terrible. Yes, yes, we can do it. And actually, they were pacified. They were pretty happy. They were like, oh, you guys are so great. You listen to me. You understand me. So I actually don't have as much time as I thought. But um, I just want to talk a second about things like divas people who want your job, bad projects, the uncertain economy. Somebody said to me the other day, how do you uh, motivate people? And the, re re the response is, well, they have a job. That's how they're motivated. I would never say that. Really, I wouldn't. I like to think, even if something is a bad experience, I'm going to take something out of it. So 
Um, but I have worked with a lot of design divas, people who think that they are the living end and that the world revolves around them. And the best way that I can tell you how to deal with that is is not <laughs> sorry is to tell them to shut up and go away no it's it's to to listen to what they say and quest, keep questioning them to articulate what why their design solutions are so perfect and so good and caution them to listen and be open to other points of view caution them that the team may have suggestions they hadn't thought about and if that still doesn't work that's where you, you might have to step aside and, and in private have a little conversation that, you know, we're not diva-licious at where we work. Um, sometimes nothing works and then that, that moves into the whole correct or manage out scenario. I did once work at a place where um, I was hired to be the manager and there was somebody on the team who had also applied to be the manager job and she was seriously resentful. But I did not know why she was seriously resentful until she actually told me that she thought she should be doing my job and she could have done a better job. But by then I had already come in and set things up in a different way and I was able to kind of point out to her like, well, would you have done this? Don't you think this is helping? Aren't, haven't I made your life easier? Aren't things working smoothly now? And she agreed with me, and that's when I had the discussion around her personal goals. Well, so did she want to be a manager? Was she just more interested in having uh, richer projects or more responsibility? She could lead a project and not be the manager. I could give her, she could actually supervise another designer if that was what her goal was. As long as I knew about it, I was able to help her. So that chilled out a lot as well. There's always the situation where you're on a bad project, you're in a company you, you like, in a job you like, everything you like except for your project. And the only thing that I can do then is try to make the project experience as best as possible. Like, registration will be over soon. I promise. Can I take you to lunch? What kind of swag can I get you? Um, treat people special as best you can. Um, I, I was on a terrible project and our boss, um, basically rewarded us with all sorts of interesting things outside the project. So he took us to lunch once a week. We got cool little notebooks. We got a little bit of public recognition for the hard work we were doing. He did everything he could to create a great atmosphere except for that project. And then when the project was over, he let us, he pointed us towards better projects to be on. Finally, it's a really crappy economy for a lot of people and everyone's worried about their job. I know in our company, there's a lot less people doing a lot more work right now and people are really stressed. So the only thing I can tell you to do in that situation is you're on their side, you're there to support the team and maybe you're the one that can help prioritize. So we only have five people, everybody expects 10 projects, but we only have five people. Let's t together as a team prioritize what we're going to do, what those projects are. And then as the voice of the team, I'm the one that would go off and communicate the fact that we're only going to do the five things to the stakeholders involved. I'm the one that would communicate the choices that we're making. I might take somebody on the team along with me to show them how to do it so that they can do it on their own next time if that's part of their career goals. Um, I use a lot of photographs from Flickr and I want to thank all those people and does anybody have questions? Yes?
Um, did everybody hear the question? Um, I actually think that there's a casualness about my manner that people assume that I'm more friendly and that it's less it's it's less structured. But in fact, I actually believe you need to have different roles on the team, and you need if if it's not quote a manager, you 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 need decision makers, you need communicators, and and I will step up and do that. So I, I as I when I said share information freely, I really meant it like. People need to understand what you're talking about. You can't always lead it up to them. Now, sometimes you want to make people feel like they're part of the decision-making process, right? So oftentimes I'll do something like for a goal setting, I'll come up with an outline or actually all the leaders, we just did this at eBay, all the managers came up with an outline of our overall yearly goals. And they're kind of based on last year's goals. It's not like it's anything new. Um, I thought about what my team's goals would be. Then I shared that with my team and asked them for input. And we changed it and added and played around with it. And that helped them feel like they were part of it. I was able to add their personal interests into it, but I was still giving them a foundation to start from. Somebody else had a question? Yes. Um, I have heard about that, um, so that hasn't been my experience, but um, it's typically because I've been on or had small enough teams that the complainers were everybody was complaining at the same time. It wasn't a one complainer. If we move into like the one complainer personality, that's behavior I would try to correct. Uh, I would say you should feel free to complain to me or come talk to me during our sessions. I want to understand what your problems are and I can offer solutions, but that it wouldn't be something I would want to hear on a day-to-day -day basis in the team because that would be the bad apple infection. There was a question over there. I, yes, sir. Oh, sure. Uh, so, so she said, um, have I had experience with people who are really lacking motivation, um, who were just not into it? At 5 o'clock, they wanted to walk out the door. Um, and it, did I basically paraphrase her? Um, yes, obviously. That's why early on I started talking about managing people's expectations. And that's why I talked about poor little Mrs. Winard, who didn't tell me that coming to work on time actually meant coming to work five minutes early. Um, but I also try to, so I think there's a, lim, uh, a way to set rules or set expectations and say, this is what we expect. This is the type of behavior. This is how to fit in in our current culture. And there's a way to encourage that as well by, by example by do you mind staying a little half an hour later so that I can talk to you and this is the only free time I have. Um, however, if somebody really isn't motivated and you give them every opportunity and you show them all the fun things that life is like and you give them a great project to see how they would do and they're still not motivated, that's when I say, have you considered that this job is not exactly what you're looking for? Yes. Blucher. I think that really depends on your culture, uh, the company culture or your team culture. Um, and that, like, that's why I, I think it's really important to make clear if you're managing, this is what I mean by being a manager versus this is what I mean by being a designer or whatever. Um, I find that, the, in my personal experience, is just the more senior I get, the less time there is to do the hands-on. And um, I try to keep, I try to keep current or knowing what's going on by having 
design feedback be a huge part of my role as manager. So I may not be doing it myself, but I'm coming up with ideas and helping other people execute. Um, that said, I think that any company that doesn't have like the individual contributor senior principal track is going to lose a lot of people that don't want to deal with all the politics and nastiness that I'm dealing with on a daily basis. Yes. I think it is sometimes freaky for people. Um, also, I, I do find that people assume that you're more like them than you're not. Um, so a lot of times people assume I'm their age and I'm not, but I actually don't know how old I am anymore, so that doesn't really matter. Um, but so people assume that you're going to react the same way that they would react. People assume that something that bothers you, like I would never share some personal detail and so no one else on the team is going to want to share that personal detail when in fact I tell everybody everything like within 10 minutes of meeting them. Um, so the way that I do it is I think there's a balance of asking those questions and probing and then there's the learn by the culture around you. I ask people to, before I really talk to them, I give them a chance to see what's happening, just to be there and exist with the rest of the team and sit in the bullpen and talk to each other and see what everyone else is doing. So when you see Lucas working his butt off and making a huge deliverable deck that's beautiful, you know that's sort of what I'm expecting from you. To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxofnarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners.